Hey there, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of Random Song Encounters. I'm your host, Gene Vincent, and as usual, we're coming to you from our SoCal Desert Treehouse Outpost this week. Uh, we've got a great bunch of songs, as usual, for you uh, that we're going to roll out in a few minutes. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in the desert. Uh, few clouds in the sky, a little light breeze, but uh, nothing like what uh, the rest of the country is experiencing in uh, uh, the dead of winter. So, uh, you know, happy to be in the desert and you just can't beat it this time of the year. Uh, we're calling this episode Life's a Long Song. Uh, and you'll hear that particular tune somewhere in the in the podcast. Uh, we're tying it in just because, you know, you got to thinking about... Uh, one of those things, you know, you gotta you gotta enjoy life while you can. You gotta get out there and have some fun. You can't get wound up in the day to day work grind and the stress that goes along with that and everything else that's going around on around you. You gotta take some time to sit back and relax and and take in the good things and uh, and and have some fun just because uh, life is <laughs> life is fleeting. Uh, if you don't already know it, uh, you will. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, when they punch your ticket, uh, you know, as the song says at the end, the tune ends too soon for us all. So uh, uh, in light of that, that's the episode for, for today. Uh, we're going to jump right in, segment one, and start off with a, a toe tapper, a little blues tune from Stevie Ray Vaughan. So uh, let's get started. See you on the other end. Baby 
that's the way to start a show. Uh, five great tunes, segment one, Random Song Encounters, episode 30, Life's a Long Song. Um, let's go back to the beginning, see where we started. Uh, we had that great little toe tapper from Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble called uh, Love Struck Baby from their debut LP in 1983 called Texas Flood. Uh, Stevie started playing guitar when he was like seven years old, um, you know, inspired by his brother Jimmy Vaughn, who is a great blues uh, guitarist in his own right and is still out there making great music. So, uh, you know, he had a had someone uh, who was already uh, uh, a great guitar player to emulate. Um, he ended up moving to Austin uh, before he finished high school to start a music career and uh, played around the club circuit for years and years and years and until he finally ran into uh, Tommy Shannon, who plays bass, and, and Chris Layton, who plays drums, and they formed Double Trouble. Um, they quickly became uh, the most popular act in and around you know, Austin, Texas, and in the southern U.S., uh, and uh, they garnered, garnered them uh, enough of a following where they were asked to perform at the Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland in 1982, which is a super big deal. Um, didn't have a record deal at the time, but they were invited to play. It just so happened at the show uh, in Montreux, uh, David Bowie and Jackson Brown were in the audience and happened to see him perform and were super impressed by what they heard out from the band. Uh, David Bowie, Bowie got a hold of uh, Stevie and asked him to play guitar on his Let's, Let's Dance LP, which he did. And then Jackson Brown offered them uh, three days free use of his L.A. recording studio to, to make some demo, demos and get their word out there and try and get a deal. So uh, they took uh, Jackson up on the offer, and uh, out of that session, indeed, came a record deal. And as a result, uh, this uh, debut LP. The song uh, itself, Love Struck Baby, is written by Stevie, and it's about the night that he and his wife then, uh, Lenny, moved in together. Unfortunately, you know, uh, after seven short years, uh, Stevie died at the age of 35 in a helicopter crash, uh, leaving after a show on the way to an airport. It was the only way to get there without having to wait around for hours and hours for traffic to clear, and which, you know, acts do all the time. But uh, in this particular case, it was foggy, uh, and they crashed. And Stevie and, and a few others in the helicopter all, all perished. Uh, like I said, his career only lasted seven years, but he's one, by far one of the most influential uh, blues mu uh, musicians of his time and uh, one of the great, great guitarists of, of all time as well. Um, after that, we went into uh, a little early alt music from EMF out of the UK and their song, Unbelievable, uh, from their 1991 debut LP as well, Schubert Dip. They formed in 1989, and uh, were already known. The individual members were known uh, around the local music scene, had been playing with other bands, and so they decided to get together and collaborate. And uh, the band name itself ended up coming from the initials uh, of a New Order club fan club called Epsom Mad Funkers. So EMF, so that's where their name came from. Uh, strange how some of these names come about. Uh, the album title, Schubert Dip, is another little, <coughs> strange little uh, story. 
kind of a joke among the band. Uh, they would say that you know if they were ever uh, writing something and they were they needed a chord sequence and couldn't come up with something, they would as I say nick one from Schubert, meaning Hans uh, Franz Schubert, Hans and Franz, but <laughs> Franz Schubert, uh, the famous composer. So Nick became Dip, so it's the Schubert Dip. Um, the song itself, you can hear, uh, famously features a couple of samples. Uh, the, the most uh, notable one is uh, from comedian Andrew Dice Clay. Uh, he does the oh or yo, whatever that is. Uh, and I think he's got another little tidbit in there, but uh, uh, that's where that comes from. The band uh, split, but has reformed. At, on at least three occasions, and uh, they're still out there. Uh, they recently released a new LP called The Beauty and the Chaos, and they've got a tour planned, a uh, small tour of the UK, but I'm not sure if they're going to add dates in the US or not, but, you know, hey, check them out. EMF, unbelievable. Then after that, uh, we've got a little funky with you and uh, a voice that, you know, uh, if you've... <laughs> If you're into music that you immediately know, it's uh, Annie Lennox, uh, Scottish-born. Her song, Ghost in the Machine, In My Machine, sorry, uh, from her 2007 fourth solo LP called Songs of Mass Destruction. Um, Annie, of course, is most famously known for and rose to prominence in the 1980s as part of the, the duo with Dave Stewart called Eurythmics. Um, you know, they had a great, great run there in the 80s and early 90s and, you know, just uh, decided to call it quits uh, in, the, in and around 1991, 2, uh, and she began working on a solo career after that. Uh, <clears throat> this particular album is, is described as, a, as dark in nature and it's kind of underscored by uh, people's ups and downs in life. So it kind of goes along with... Uh, uh, the title of our podcast, Life's a Long Song. This kind of talks about some of those ups and downs that you you experience in life. Um, her last music le- release was actually a piano instrumental EP called, I'll probably butcher this, but it's uh, Lebedoptera in 2019. So uh, there you have it. She's still out there. Seen her a couple times on uh, some award shows and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, Annie Lennox, a, a great, great voice and immediately recognizable. After that, you know, if you don't know who these guys are, uh, you've been living in a cave or uh, or I'm not sure where you've been, but uh, everybody knows the Rolling Stones out of the UK. Their song, Live With Me, from their 12th LP in 1969 called Let It Bleed. Uh, The classic Stones lineup um, wasn't formed, didn't come together until 1962. Uh, Bill Wyman, uh, uh, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, Brian Jones, and then uh, uh, there was a, a, band, a drummer prior to Charlie Watts. Uh, Charlie Watts joined the band a year later in 1963. So in that, that at that point in time, they were they were that they had the core group that everybody knows and loves. Uh, however, uh, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger uh, have been childhood friends from the, like the age of seven. So. They'd grown up together, and they started, got in bands together, and they played in several groups, uh, you know, trying to, you know, build their chops and get some uh, notoriety uh, in the business. And uh, they were mainly playing, they loved the blues, so they were playing blues covers, 
and uh, they they ran into Brian Jones by chance. Uh, Brian ran an ad in a in a magazine or paper uh, looking for bandmates to start a new group. So uh, they got together and out of their mutual love of, of blues and blues covers, uh, decided to start something on their own. Uh, the band name Rolling Stones, if you hadn't heard, comes from, of course. A random song encounter by Brian Jones in this case. Um, he was doing an interview, and uh, when they first put this uh, the new band together and didn't have a name yet, and the interviewer asked, "Hey, what are you going to call the new band?" Uh, it just so happened there was a, a Muddy Waters record sitting on sitting next to him. Happened to look down, and one of the tracks on the on the LP was Rolling Stone, and uh, he said, "Hey, we're the Rolling Stones," and uh, went with it on that spot and you know uh, so be it the hi history is a uh, history was set um, the album itself in fact Le let it bleed is the last to include Brian Jones he only played uh, on two songs and and only contributed backing instruments uh, you know and within a, a month of being fired uh, Brian died in a famously in a uh, in a pool at the age of 27, uh, and he was uh, replaced by Mick Taylor. Uh, th this particular track, Live With Me, is the first track, uh, is one of two that Mick Taylor appears on, because uh, he joined in the middle of the recording process, And but it's the first one he recorded uh, as the newest member of the band. Um, this track also features famously our, our friend Leon Russell, who we've talked about all the way back to episode one and, and throughout the podcast uh, for his different you know, collaborations and, and contributions to you know everybody in the music business, it seems. Uh, on this particular track, he contributed piano on the track. Um, and c again, in case you're, you've been living uh, under a rock or in a cave, uh, uh, the Stones are still out there. They're, uh, they just released a new LP and are starting a U.S. tour in April, uh, although without Charlie Watts, who passed away in 2021. But, uh, hey, the, the rest of the guys are out there, and they're touring and ha still going, working hard at it, even though I think Mick Jagger is probably in, in 80 now. Uh, but uh, uh, get your tickets now. I'm sure they're going to sell out uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, doing what they do best, that dirty uh, blues rock uh, kind of stuff is 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 and the, this particular track is you know really uh, my favorite type of stone song so uh, there you have them and then last but not least in this segment another great band this time out of Canada and Rush uh, also from their debut LP called Rush in 1974 the songs Finding My Way they formed in 1968 uh, by they were formed by lead lead guitarist Alex Lifeson. And uh, the band name, Rush, was suggested. They had an original uh, drummer whose brother uh, came up with the band name Rush and decided, you know, it's great. It's short. It's to the point. Uh, you know, love it. Let's go with it. Uh, Getty Lee, born Getty Weinrib, uh, was asked to join uh, next uh, out of the uh, three band members, core band members that everybody knows. Uh, the original frontman uh, decided he was going to leave the band, and uh, upon leaving, he went to Alex Lifeson and said, "Hey, uh, I'm going to do something else, but you should really hire this guy Getty Weinrib. 
uh, in the band. He's he's a bass player. He's got a great voice. Blah 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 blah. So uh, the rest is history. Getty was asked to join the band after an uh, interview with Alex and uh, got along swimmingly. And uh, so there you have him in the band. Uh, Neil Pert, the third you know core group member, was not yet in the band. Uh, they had a, an original drummer who was who was in the band when they cut this particular album um, on their own label. As they were not able, they hadn't been able to get a deal with a uh, major label up to that point, so they released this on their own. And uh, you know, and uh, shortly afterwards, as the they started touring to support this album, the original drummer decided to leave the band. Uh, there was disagreements on where the band was going with their musical choices that Alex and Getty were into versus the drummer, and. Uh, he was having issues with touring, whether it was medical reasons or otherwise, but, uh, you know, just decided to leave. He had actually written the lyrics for the album, but decided not to submit them, tore them up, threw them away. And so Alex and Getty had to scramble around and uh, put some lyrics together. And uh, this may be the, the only album uh, from Rush. I have to check. There may, may be some onesie twosies in the, uh, after that, but where they wrote actually wrote lyrics they were they mainly concentrated after after this uh, effort on the music side and Neil Peart became the band's uh, lyricist uh, for the most part uh, per, Neil joined the band uh, two weeks before their first US tour supporting this album and uh, you know there you have the core group and the rest is history uh, a, Cle a Cleveland DJ picked up the song working man on this album which became popular in Cleveland, a working class town, uh, and the region, and uh, led to them getting a contract, and uh, off they went to in the stratosphere. Uh, unfortunately, another loss in the music business. Neil Pert passed away uh, in the uh, in the last three four years, 2020, 2021, from brain cancer, and the band hasn't uh, recorded anything or toured since. But uh, they've talked about it, uh, doing something, uh, so could be in the works, but. Uh, Nothing uh, in concrete as yet, but uh, just Love Rush. Great, great band, and that's a great track from their, their debut. So there you have segment one. We're going to move right into segment two. I've got my Random Song Encounters custom-made T-shirt on that I wear now weekly when I record. Uh, I receive for, as a Christmas gift from my daughter, so thank you very much. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll... Um, create an opportunity for some listeners to get them if they're interested. But uh, let's shove right into segment two. We're going to start off with a track from 1966 uh, from Johnny Rivers. It's a live track, so uh, check it out. See you on the other side. Pretty 
faces that you find A pretty face can hide an evil mind Oh, be careful what you say Or you will give yourself away Odds are you won't live to see tomorrow Secret Asian man Secret Asian man
take stock of the new the day And you hear your voice croak as you choke on what you need to say Well don't you fret, don't you fear I will give you good cheer Life's a lost song Life's a lost song Life's a lost song If you wait then you play and I will fail As the verses unfold and your soul suffers the long day the twelve o'clock bloom spins the room You struggle on your way Well, don't you sigh, don't you cry Lick the dust from your eye Life's a long song Life's a long song Life's a long song Sweet light of dawn As the Baker Street train Spills your pain all over your new dress And the symphony sounds underground But you wanted you to rest Well don't you squeal as the heel
there you have it. Segment two, closing it out. Ain't got time for what you feel from ministry. Uh, let's start there. Uh, again, ministry out of Chicago. Uh, their song Revenge from 1983, uh, a little synth pop action uh, off their debut LP with Sympathy. Uh, this, is, this is a crazy, uh, crazy one. You know, they, this is obviously the song, this album is synth pop. Uh, they formed in 1981, frontman Al Jorgensen. Uh, and if you know ministry uh, from the mid-80s through now, they are not anywhere close to synth pop. They are, they've evolved uh, into one of the pioneering uh, masters of industrial rock and metal and uh, are still out there <clears throat> doing that thing. Uh, but this one album, uh, at the beginning of Al's career... Uh, synth pop so quite a change uh the band name ministry <clears throat> isn't based solely on just a religious uh, uh conjuring it's more of a uh, to conjure up an image of almighty power uh wheeling and dealing behind closed doors whether it's a governmental group or a, you know private business or religion religious group or whoever uh just that that ministry of uh, I don't know, suspicion and doubt that's, that's working behind the scenes to control your lives. <clears throat> After playing with other bands prior to ministry, uh, all over the place, Al decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing what I want to do. So he started writing and recording his own songs. He had a synthesizer and a drum machine, which obviously was where this album came from. The band, he got some guys together to uh, record Got the band together in 82, got a record deal pretty quickly as they uh, uh, established some a following right away. And uh, out came this album. Uh, one regret that Al's uh, expressed uh, is that on the album he uses a false British accent on all the songs. Obviously he's not British, he's from Chicago. But, uh, you know, others have said, you know, you can't regret that. You were kind of paying homage to... Uh, the British New Wave invasion and that sound, uh, so you use that to your uh, benefit. And uh, yeah, great, great, great album, great track. Um, Ministry is out there though, doing that industrial music thing. Uh, they just released a new uh, album um, called, uh, uh, you know, Hope Hopium for the Masses. Some of these album titles are getting a little little difficult, but. Uh, They've always come up with, with tricky uh, album titles. Hopium for the masses. And they're going to be touring again starting next week, actually. Uh, they're going out with uh, Gary Newman and I uh, can't remember who the third group is, but that should be a pretty cool uh, crew, uh, uh, group of bands touring together. Uh, before that, we heard uh, the great Jethro Tull out of the UK and their song Life is a Long Song, which is our episode... For this week is is titled uh it's off their 1971 ep and it was their first ep release called also called life's a long song uh, they formed in 67 uh, three of the initial members had gone again like the stones they'd gone to grammar school together uh, they were playing around at the club circuit trying to get keep getting gigs trying to build their their reputation and, and get their chops uh, but uh they had to change their name all the time because they were so bad uh, that they wouldn't get invited back. Uh, so, as a matter of fact, Jethro Tull 
was one of those aliases uh, was made up by their booking agent. Um, he was a history buff and uh, had read about this guy named Jethro Tull, who was an 18th century agriculturalist. So he used that as <laughs> one of their aliases, and it stuck. Uh, they they happened to get uh, a weekly residency at a club uh, under that name, uh, and so the band name stuck, and off they went. Uh, Ian Anderson, the the front man, has always has expressed disdain for the name and said that, you know wishes they would have come up with something different, non you know historical, but. Uh, Hey, it, it is what it is at this point. They got their big break playing uh, in 1968 at the National Jazz and Blues Festival. And, uh, you know, this song, an EP, was actually released in between two LP uh, recording sessions. It, it was released between the Aqualung session and then the following session was Thick as a Brick. So it came out between that and, like I say, it was their first EP they had included. Um, this, this EP in whole is also included as part of a compilation album with some old singles and so on and so forth that bands typically do. It's called Living in the Past. So check that one out. That's a, that's a, If you want a compilation album of the early work, that's a great one to go through. It's got some great songs on it. Um, the song itself, as we, we talked about uh, at the beginning of the episode, about everyday life and, and fittingly concludes, you know, as I mentioned, the tune ends too soon for us all. So get out there and Enjoy life, damn, damn you. <laughs> uh, have a good time while you can, because uh, it ends all too soon, and uh, you know you can't get stuck in that uh, the daily grind. Uh, Jethro Tull, 23 LPs in their career, uh, and they just released one uh, a new one last year called Rock Float. Uh, so they're still out there. Not sure if they're going to tour behind it. I would assume so. Uh, uh, I happened to see Jethro Tull a few years back at the Greek Theater in L.A. and uh, uh, just wanted to, you know, check him out and uh, uh, just had a great time at the show, listening to all those old tunes and, and hearing them live for, for the first time was was a treat for me. So check him out if you have a chance, Jethro Tull. Before that, a uh, band you probably never heard of, the True Believers out of Austin, Texas, and their song The Rain Won't Help You When It's Over from their debut uh, and well, they released two LPs, but uh, this was their debut and, and one of two LPs called True Believers as well from 1994. Uh, two brothers formed a band in 82, Alejandro and Javier Escovedo. Uh, they, this is one of those you know, deals where the band, uh, everybody loved the band. They had a lot of critical praise and praise from other bands. Uh, they were asked to tour with some big name acts as opening as an opening act, and, and everybody thought they were going to take off and just be the next big thing, but that never uh, channeled itself into record sales or, or popularity, uh, you know, at the at any other level that other than a cult following level that they they had in the the, the Texas kind of area. Um, we actually played uh, a solo track from Alejandro Escovedo and back in I think around episode seven. Um, yeah, more of a rockin' track. This is more of a country rock kind of a sound. That was part of the problem, apparently, is uh, the album is full of different types of musical genres, you know, from, from you know, rockin' to country rock to, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But, uh, and they could, so they couldn't really put them into a box 
and that created a problem for promoting them. Uh, they didn't know where, you know, how to classify them if you needed to. But uh, supposedly that was part of the problem and why the band uh, wasn't able to take off. Uh, they did release a second LP, but it was seven years after the band broke up. Uh, they broke up in 87, came out in like 94. Uh, the reason was they their record company merged with another record company, and uh, the, the new record company decided they didn't uh, like the album so much and decided to drop it. And so it fell off the schedule and uh, never got released. Uh, seven years later, another record company picked it up, and they released it. I think it's called Hard Road, uh, and it's but it turned into a, like a compilation. They took the new album, Hard Road, and then they also incorporated this album into the same uh, CD at the time. So you've got two albums on one CD. Uh, so check it out if you want to ch check uh, the band in its entirety. The name of the, uh, their second album, Hard Road, has everything uh, that they had released. But uh, yeah, great little band, uh, True Believers. Prior to that, a Swedish band called Junip, uh, off their 2013 second LP, also called Junip. Uh, the name of the tune is Your Life, Your Call. Uh, they formed in 1998, uh, childhood friends, uh, just kind of a, as a hobby. Uh, Jose Gonzalez, Tobias Winterkorn, and a third friend who uh, was initially involved, but uh, after recording for their first LP, dropped out uh, the band. So it was just the two uh, duo left to continue. Uh, like I said, it was just a hobby. They all had day jobs and they were just kind of using this to have some fun. But um, you know, Jose Gonzalez actually uh, started uh, uh, having a pretty, good, pretty nice uh, solo career. Uh, and so he was concentrating more on music and then their, their Junip music started to take off. So uh, they uh, decided to concentrate more on Junip and uh, Jose's solo career and uh, the day jobs kind of fell by the wayside. So since then, they've released two EPs and two LPs, but uh, nothing uh, new's come out since about 2013, so 10 years or so. Uh, I assume we'll hear again from Junip again at some point in time, but uh, you know, uh, I like this particular tune. got a nice little groovy little uh, sound to it. There you go. And we started off segment two with a, another little toe tapper, a live track from Johnny Rivers out of Louisiana called Secret Agent Man from his 1966 LP, and I Know You Want to Dance. Uh, it was his sixth LP overall, overall and, but his fourth live LP out of the six. He, he, did a lot, he recorded early on a lot of his LPs live at the Whiskey A Go Go in, in LA, um, and we can ex we'll explain that. Born, uh, he was born Johnny Ramstella, but uh, famous DJ Alan Freed back in the day uh, suggested uh, when they met that he changed his name, and he suggested Johnny Rivers, uh, since he lived in Baton Rouge, Rouge Louisiana, right next to the, right off the Mississippi River, and uh, so said, you know, use the use the river, call yourself Johnny Rivers, and uh, he took uh, took that advice, and uh, uh, the rest is as I usually say is history. Uh, he formed his first band at the age of 14, and had some music uh, from that band recorded as early as 1956. Uh, he ended up moving to Nashville and worked as a songwriter and a demo singer. Uh, he ran into a guy named James Burton, who was a guitarist in Ricky Nelson's band. If you know Ricky Nelson, uh, back in the day, he, he was big in the uh, early 60s. 
uh, and also Ozzie and Harriet. If you know the Ozzie and Harriet show, it's the Nelson family, and Ricky is uh, one of those, uh, uh, one of the brothers in the family. Uh, uh, James Burton suggested Ricky record one of uh, uh, the songs that Johnny had written. He did that. It became a hit, and uh, at that point, Johnny decided to relocate to L.A., and that's where he got his big great break in 1964. He got a one-year contract as an opening act at the Whiskey A Go Go on the on the Strip uh, in L.A. on Sunset Strip, and it, which had just opened recently. So uh, out of that came his debut LP, which was a, also a live album recorded at the Whiskey. Uh, as I mentioned, four of his six LPs were live LPs recorded at the Whiskey. This particular LP additionally was recorded live at the Whiskey. Uh, in, in 1963, this, this particular, particular track uh, came out of like a whim. Uh, in 63, uh, Johnny was chosen to put vocals to a theme song that was being, that had been written for a new American uh, TV show called Secret Agent. Uh, they were uh, taking a British TV series called Danger Man and they were gonna make it, get put out an American version of the show. So they wrote a new theme song for it, uh, but they needed, uh, they needed somebody to put vocals to it. So uh, they hired Johnny Rivers to do the vocals. And typically, you know, theme songs are 60 seconds, whatever. So they record this little, you know, 60 second long uh, deal as the theme song. And the, the U.S. version of, of the, of the uh, series came out in 1965. And the theme song was so popular, people were calling and saying, where can I get that song? Da, 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 da. Uh, they decided, hey, we got to record a full-length version and get it out there. So uh, they recorded the version, and lo and behold, it went to number three on the Billboard charts. Um, the album that this uh, single uh, ended up on is also... Uh, is this particular album and, and the song it was as I mentioned recorded live at the whiskey and which is the most famous recording and you can hear the the crowd in the background especially at the end of the song uh, you know it's a it's a really cool track uh, Johnny released his last new music in 2010 and and said farewell in 2023 with a tour uh, but this is uh, again a really cool track I always loved uh, this one from Johnny Johnny Rivers so off we go to segment three um, let's start off with something uh, from the 80s. How about some more synth pop? Let's go. I'm glad we don't hear you anymore. 
Oh, yeah. You betcha. <laughs> there we have segment three to close out this episode. Uh, finished off with another toe tapper from David Bowie. But let's go back to the beginning of the segment and we'll uh, finish off with David. We start off with Yazoo out of the UK and their uh, song Goodbye 70s from uh, their debut LP from 1982 called Upstairs at Eric's. Interesting little group here, short-lived. Uh, they formed in 1981 after Vince Clark, uh, famously uh, one of the founding members uh, and songwriters of Depeche Mode, uh, decided to leave the band. Uh, they had just released a, a huge album, uh, very popular, and three hit singles came off of that album, all three written by Vince, and he decided to toss that and uh, wanted to do something else and left the band. Uh, out of that, though, he became worried that the record label would cut him loose and he'd have to go find another deal. Uh, so he wanted to... Uh, quickly put together a demo tape uh, and submit it to the, the label just to show him he still had plenty to offer uh, outside of Depeche Mode. Uh, one problem, though, he couldn't sing. He needed to hire a, or find a vocalist uh, to work with to, to put the demo tape together. Lo and behold, uh, along comes Alison Moyer. She's a punk rocker, been in punk rock bands. She put out an ad. Uh, asking for musicians to form a new band. Uh, Vince had seen her perform, perform before and knew she had uh, great vocal abilities. Uh, so he answered the ad because, uh, like I said, he needed that vocalist and thought she'd fit uh, very well uh, on the demo. Uh, the demo actually was a, uh, a future, what turned out to be a future hit of theirs called Only You. Um, Upon submitting the demo tape, the, uh, the record label loved it. They asked them to go in the studio and record the song as a single, put it out, and then make an album together. Um, supposedly, so, you know, off they went. You know, they had just met. They had, uh, you know, really no interaction with each other, other business-like and working on this, this demo tape. And they were already now a duo uh, working on an album for a record label. Um, Supposedly, the name Yazoo was taken from a, a specialist a blues record label called Yazoo Records. They eventually, though, had to shorten the name to the American version, uh, Yaz, uh, when they learned that a, another American band had the name, had already taken the name Yazoo, as well they, as the, a threat of a lawsuit from the record label, the Yazoo Records, for stealing their name. So they decided to shorten it to Yaz, and off they went. Uh, Fortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, the group broke up after only two LPs in 1983 uh, just because they said a lack of communication. Like I said, they had just got together, were thrown into this thing together, and really had no interaction with one another other than on the business side. Uh, they didn't hang out together. They didn't you know, uh, do things together. They didn't re never really bonded. Uh, uh, and so at the end of the day, they said, you know, this is nice, but... Uh, it's it's not really a good fit for either one of us, so they split. Uh, they did reunite reunite though in 2008 to perform a set of shows as part of a record company's reissue of these two LPs. Um, 
I had the pleasure of, of seeing them. I heard they were coming out and, and, and snapped up some tickets down in Orange County uh, and was really happy that I had a chance to see them live. Uh, you know, like another one of those things, like seeing the Sex Pistols or another band that you know was out you know ages ago and sites come out and you've never had a chance to see them. So it, it was great to see them together and uh, really enjoyed the show live. Um, the album itself, Upstairs at Eric's, is named after the studio where they recorded the album. Uh, the guy's uh, the guy's name is Eric Radcliffe, and the name of the studio is Blackwing Studios. So there you have it, Upstairs at Eric's. And the song itself, it was written by Allison uh, out of her disillusionment with the whole punk movement in the 70s. She, like say, she was really into the punk thing. And, you know, at the time, her friends were all into it, and they, they were really like, man, this is great. We're really, this is really going to change things. It's really something important that we're doing. But uh, when punk fizzled, fizzled out, they all kind of just, you know, dropped that and treated it like a fad and went on to the next fad. So she was really disillusioned because of that, and hence the song, you know, Goodbye 70s. Uh, um, although, you know, when you look back at the 70s, it gets kind of a bad rap uh, for other things. Disco, eh, not a big fan, but uh, there was a lot of good, good music that came out of the 70s, and we play a lot of it here, uh, at least three tracks, uh, an episode out of the 70s, and a lot of great, great music. So, hey, um, not so hard on the 70s. Lighten up a little bit. <laughs> uh, actually... I don't know if I mentioned this. No, I know I didn't mention it, but uh, Vince Clark has actually started a group uh, called Erasure after Yaz, and then uh, Alison Moyet has gone on to a, a, her own uh, solo career, great solo career. So uh, there you have it, Yaz. After that, we heard it from a group called Dutch Uncles out of the UK and their tune Fester from their third LP in 2013 called Out of Touch in the Wild. They formed in 2008 and started playing together in college, known as the Headliners, or the Headlines. Uh, after the name changed to Duck Chunkles, the band got their big break in 2010 when their manager released an EP uh, featuring them and other uh, bands based out of Manchester. Uh, there was a big music scene in Manchester. Oasis had just broken up, so they were trying to build some new interest in the Manchester sound or... Uh, so they put these, the, this EP together with a bunch of Manchester groups and released it. And, uh, you know, like I say, they got, uh, got a deal from it, and off they went. They've actually uh, put out six LPs uh, so far, and uh, with the last coming out in 2023, and titled uh, True Entertainment. So uh, if you like that track, check them out, uh, Dutch Uncles. After that, we went all the way back to 1967. And uh, a little bit of R&B Motown sound. Throw something different at you. From the Supremes out of Detroit. And there's their hit, You Keep Me Hanging On. It's from their 10th LP called The Supremes Sing Holland, Dozier Holland. They formed way back in 1958. Uh, one of the original members, Florence Ballard, was talking to a couple of guys in a group called The Primes, uh, uh, who later changed their name to become The Temptations. She wanted to start a, a girl group, a sister group uh, to the Primes and wanted to call it Primettes. So, uh, you know, after uh, talking to them, she went forward with it. Uh, they, she next recruited Mary Wilson into the group. And last but not least, Diana Ross. Uh, there was a fourth member originally, uh, a woman called, named uh, Betty McClown. 
but she left uh, uh, the act early on in 1962, and uh, the Temptations, uh, Supremes went on as a trio after that. Uh, they spent years and years trying to get a deal with Motown Records, and Barry Gordy, uh, the owner, kept uh, pushing back and saying, you know, first they were too young, go get some experience, uh, you know, get your chops together and come back and, and we'll talk. But uh, he finally relented uh, on the condition that they changed their name and he gave them a list of suggestions. They went and checked the list out, they liked the Supremes, and uh, off they went into musical history. Uh, they used to share kind of mutually lead vocal duties between the trio, but uh, Barry Gordy decided, hey, we need to pick a, an official lead singer and, uh, moving forward. And so they, he picked uh, Diana Ross, and you know she, uh, she uh, took the group to another level as their official lead singer and then on to a, a fantastic solo career of her own. Um, this is the group's final album, Holland Dozier Holland, uh, overseen by that writing team. They, uh, they used to work together almost exclusively and uh, writing all the songs for the Supremes. But that was the last album that they did that. Uh, the song was originated from a Morse code-like sound that Lamont Dozier heard. Uh, you know, they would play this, uh, this thing before news announcements on TV back in the day. Uh, he heard it and he said, hey, you know, this would make a really cool, turn this into a really cool uh, guitar riff and we can make a single out of this. So he went back to the other two guys, the Dolph Holland brothers, and they put this thing together, and off it went. Um, there's actually, you know, comes to mind, there's another a song, uh, I think it's called Western Union, that has a similar type of, you know, uh, they've used a different kind of sound, but it's not a guitar riff, it's more like a, uh, a vocal section out of the song. It's called, you know, Western Union, do, 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 do. there you go. I'm butchering it, I can't sing a lick, but... I think it's by the Jay and the Americans or somebody like that, but uh, you know, quirky little thing that just popped into my head. Uh, this particular song went all the way to number one on the Billboard charts and became one of six songs to reach number one recorded by two separate artists. The Supremes, of course, first, but then uh, Kim Wilde recorded it in 1987 and it went to number one as well. So that's, and they've got a little record going for them there. Uh, this was actually... Uh, within the first 32 years that uh, Billboard started tracking uh, the charts, uh, there may have been something that came out uh, else that came out about after that. But uh, you know, they held that record for as one of the top six or only six for uh, I don't know, maybe it's still a record. Who knows? Uh, Diana Ross ended up leaving the group in the in 1970, and they continued to record though until 1976. Uh, when they released their 29th and final LP. At that point in time, Mary Wilson was the only remaining original member, but, you know, the Supremes were just huge, huge in 60s and 70s um, and kind of, you know, helped, you know, define the Motown sound for the other groups that, that uh, churned out music from there. And uh, just a great, great song from them. I, it's my, that's my favorite song. It's got a little bit of a rock uh, tinge to it, which is uh, what I really like. Uh, after that... We heard from the church, taking you to church out of uh, Australia, their song Metropolis from their 1990 LP Gold Afternoon Fix, which was their sixth. They formed in 1980 and were originally called The Church of Man uh, by their founding member and primary songwriter, a guy named Steve Kilby, but decided to shorten it later to just The Church. Uh, 
they uh, wanted to try and get a deal. You know, they'd been working in other vans, as typically happens. Uh, so these guys put together a demo tape um, and submitted it around um, uh, to different record companies and actually got a deal off of that. Um, the album title, Gold Afternoon Fix, is a stock market term. Uh, it relates to the daily price that's set for gold um, in the market. Uh, this LP, they had great expectations for it, both the record company and themselves. They just their prior LP, Starfish, was was a big hit for them, and they were hoping to you know jump on that success and, and put something else out that the meter exceeded. Uh, but uh, they ended up having all kinds of conflicts and, and turmoil recording this particular LP. <clears throat> they argued, argued over the choice of producer. Band wanted one guy, and record company wanted another. The record company won out, of course. And uh, they ended up having to use program drums instead of a live drummer. They were having issues with their drummer, and band wanted to hire another drummer, but again, the record company or the producer said, eh, we'll just I'll program some drums, and they just didn't like the way it sounded. So there were all kinds of issues going on, and, and the set, recording sessions were tenuous at best, and it reflected, I guess, in the final output. Um, the record failed in their estimation. Other than this track, Metropolis, that uh, was the lead single, and ended up reaching the top of the modern rock charts. Um, so the band's still out there. They're making music. Check out the church. Uh, great band if you like uh, that style of music. Uh, they put out a, a new album in 2023, uh, called Hypnagogue. So uh, check them out. The Church. And then last but not least, we heard the late, great David Bowie out of the UK. His song Queen Bitch out of uh, his 1971 LP, fourth LP, Hunky Dory. Uh, David, you know, just an icon in the music business. Uh, he formed his first band at 15. Uh, he was born David Jones and uh, carried that name for a while but decided to change it uh, to David Bowie, uh, named himself, took Bowie after the uh, American pioneer Jim Bowie uh, and the knife, the Bowie knife that he made popular. Uh, he, he did that because he wanted to disassociate himself and avoid confusion with Davy Jones of the Monkees, who were really popular at the time with their own TV show. Uh, and so David Bowie, Jones became David Bowie, uh, you know, the guy's one of the most influential mu musicians of the 20th century, and, and really, uh, other than his music, he's also really known for his, his ability to reinvent himself uh, in all the different characters he's played uh, through his musical career and, and the visual presentation that went along with that, but just a great, great artist and musician. Um, he, but in the beginning, he struggled. He was in several bands, bumping around, trying to find a fit, and then he ended up going solo and was like a solo artist for like seven years until he finally hit big uh, with his single Space Oddity, which came out in 1969. Uh, this particular song, Queen Bitch, is inspired by uh, a trip he made to New York where he met uh, Andy Warhol and the Velvet Underground, and particularly their lead singer, Lou Reed, who we played and spoke about here in prior episodes. Um, on the album itself, it's one of the few guitar-driven tracks on the record, and um, it kind of lends itself to the glam rock sound that would come later. It was kind of the precursor to what would lead to Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, 
uh, on their next LP, but uh, you know you can just hear that that glam rock kind of sound you know, that would ev that was evolving. Uh, for most of the album, it was more of a piano-based kind of tracks, and uh, uh, they used uh, or hired Rick Wakeman, uh, who was with the Straubs at the time, uh, famous keyboardist. Uh, later, you know, big fame with the band Yes, and he plays piano on all the tracks. Uh, after the recording session, uh, David Avalay actually asked Rick to join the band, but he declined and, like I said, went on to join Yes, and, and they did pretty good for themselves as well, so I can't say that was a bad decision. Um, the piano itself used uh, in this recording session is the same one used by Paul McCartney uh, when he... Uh, recorded Hey Jude, and by Queen when they recorded Bohemian Rhapsody. So I think you could find, if, if you can find that piano, uh, I think it's probably worth a pretty penny in auction or otherwise. Uh, David, in his almost 50-year recording career, released, you know, 26 studio LPs, including Black Star in 2016, which was released on his 69th birthday, and uh, two days before he's actual that he died uh, of liver cancer. Um, by the way, if you've ever seen, uh, there's a Wes Anderson film, a quirky little film, with as his typically are, with Bill Murray called the the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, and if you've seen it, you, re you might remember, you might not. But uh, this song, Queen Bitch, actually closes out the film. Uh, so great, great, great artist. Uh, uh, David Boy to close out episode 30. Um, life's a long song. So let's uh, move forward and close this thing out. All right. Episode 30 Life's a Long Song in the books. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, specifically, thank you to all the new listeners. Our, our listenership has, has kind of skyrocketed in the last week or so. And uh, so I want to welcome everyone aboard. And to those who've been with us uh, throughout, uh, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear from more of you. Bring along friends, neighbors, fellows, countrymen. <laughs> Lend us your ears. <laughs> We want to hear, we want you to be part of us, and uh, we really appreciate uh, you taking the time to listen to us. So uh, uh, until next week, another great episode coming next Wednesday, as usual, episode 31. Uh, maybe we'll do something to, uh, a little uh, fun and uh, interesting as well. So uh, until next week, and as usual, make sure you share the good stuff. Bye for now.